Uh, If you have your Bibles this morning, Acts chapter 13 is where we're going to be. We're going to pick back up, move through uh, the next couple of chapters of the book of Acts, Um, really Paul's first missionary journey uh, over the next few weeks, and then we'll kind of pause in February for other stuff, but uh, this is what's ahead of us now. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. If you need to grab one, you can borrow it or keep it as you see fit. Uh, And if you're a user of the Bible app, you can find... Um, our live event, linking off to social media or finding us by location and follow along with all the stuff there. You ready? Let's pray together and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we're here gathered, your people in Jesus' name. And we know that you're in our midst. And we know that the things that we sung about you are true. They're straight out of the scriptures. All your promises to us are yes and amen because of Jesus. (laughs) Not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus. It's all grace. And so now, by your Spirit, would you unload on us thunder? Let your voice be very clear, heard. Maybe in the deepest and darkest parts of who we are, let your voice be heard. Um, Challenge us, heal us, comfort us, whatever you need to do. We ask all of this now in Jesus' name and for the sake of his kingdom. Everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 13. Um, Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Let's pause here. Verse 1 is going to take just a minute to get through, just because there's some commentary I need to make along the way. So the church at Antioch really is how we're going to be focusing over the next um, several chapters in the book of Acts. It's not that Jerusalem becomes less important. It's just, if you will, the gravitational mass, the locus of the church moves from Jerusalem to Antioch. On occasion, God does these kinds of things where he will shift um, kind of the center, if you will, of Christianity from place to place for any number of reasons, things that he knows that we don't necessarily know. So for instance, right now, where would you say in 2019, the locus, the center, the gravitational mass of the church is in the world? Where is it? Anybody? Africa currently moving to Asia. Why is God doing this? Because he's God and he does what he wants, number one. But secondly, he has great wisdom. He moved it from Jerusalem to Antioch in about this time frame that we're reading in is about 50 AD. He moved it from Jerusalem to Antioch because in 70 AD, the Romans came in and wiped the place out, Jerusalem. So it's like God knew what he was doing or something. You know, like he was smart or something. And he was and is. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets. Prophets are people who declare the word of God, declare things from the word in a timely manner, and teachers. Teachers are those who are consistently explaining this is what Jesus said and this is what he meant. This is what it means for us. This is what Jesus said. This is what it means. uh, And this is how you go live that out. This is what Jesus said. And this is how we are supposed to live in light of that. So you had people speaking kind of timely things about their cultural moment, about the people who were in front of them, whatever. And you had people who were just generally um, explaining what God had said. So that's who we are. And then he goes through a list. Barnabas. Barnabas is from Cyprus. We saw him in chapter 4. He comes through early leader in the church, a Jewish guy, early leader in the church. Simeon, who was, uh, that's a Jewish name, but he also, listen, who was also called Niger. Anybody have any idea what Niger means? Black. His name is literally Simon the Black Guy. 
I say that because Antioch is a very diverse city, 300,000 people um, uh, at the time, third largest um, city in the Roman Empire, um, highly diverse, an east-west crossroad. There was about 10 to 20,000 Jewish people there. And throughout the, the, the history of the church, God has always had diverse voices speaking to his people. And that is not a bad thing, church family. What do we call that? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and just in case you hadn't brushed up on your, you know, kind of uh, first century geography, Cyrene was also in Africa. So we've got two Africans in the midst. And then Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch was the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. So his buddy ends up a leader in the early church, and here it ends up Herod. And then Saul. Saul that we saw in Acts 9 become a follower of Jesus, from a persecutor of the church to the follower of Jesus. Verse 2 is where I want to get to and spend a few minutes. And I'm going to say this now, and then I'm going to say it at the end of this first point, um, but because I want to reinforce it. The things that we're going to talk about, the marks that we're going to see in verses 2 and 3 of this church are not how people become the church. It, it's, these are the paths that people who are the church walk in. Does that make sense? Because of who they are, these are the things that they do. What are those things? What are the marks, if you will, of the church? What could they be uh, for us? Number uh, Verse 2. While they were, what's the phrase there? Worshiping the Lord. Let's start there. While they were worshiping the Lord. One of the marks of the church in Antioch, Lord let it be for us too, uh, is, is they were worshiping the Lord. And why would they do that? Because it helps us know God. I'm saying this now. I'll say it again here in a minute. Uh, but just I think it's so important. The more we lean passionately into worship, yes, personally and corporately, the more we lean in passionately to worship, the more clearly we see God and the more clearly we see our lives. Sometimes we get a little passive in our worship and we watch other things go on around us. And what happens is we get this distorted view of problems, of circumstances, of our sin, of our suffering that gets kind of distorted and blown up. And, the, and because of that, the, the distortion also shrinks the size of God. When we lean in passionately into worship, you know what happens? We have a clear and correct view of who God is and what our life is about. So we have a big picture of God and our sin and our circumstances and the suffering that we may be going through. All of that is appropriately sized. I'm offering this morning that these good brothers right here and good sisters right here in Antioch have something to say to Heritage Park on the, the first uh, uh, Sunday of 2019. Let's lean into this. Why? Because we need to be the church in this way? No, because we are a grateful people. Think about what Jesus has done for us. Think about the mercy that you woke up with just this morning. Think about how he has had grace on you, how he has forgiven you, how he has um, declared value and worth over your life. Think about how he has empowered you to live. Think about the purpose that he has given you. Think about the things that he allows you to be a part of. And think about all the promises that in Jesus are yes and amen. And then you go, yeah, I kind of like this song. Is that the right? I mean, is that? A grateful people gathers together and we lean into this. And when we lean in with this passion towards worship, 
God is seen clearly for who He is. Majestic and wonderful and merciful and glorious. And our suffering and our sin and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, all of that is seen in its proper perspective. We're a grateful people. We worship because we have a lot to be grateful for. And the awesome thing is, man, worship is magnetic. Have you ever noticed this? Like, as you lean into this, people around you kind of get drawn in with you. People around you start saying, yeah, I I get that a little bit. As you kind of lean in towards worship, sing, and, you know, get expressive and this kind of thing. I mean, people get drawn in. It's magnetic. That's one mark. A grateful people worships. Uh, Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord, and what's the next thing? I say it out loud. It's 2019, and it's like January the 6th, and so everybody's thinking about diets anyway. Say it out loud. Come on. Oh, there we go. Fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, if you've not been around church much or don't know anything about this, or maybe the only thing you know about fasting is what you've read on the internet uh, about you know, how to lose weight or health or whatever. Here's the thing. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. And what they do, what uh, people who fast do, goes something like this. It, um, it, it, is a, it is a discipline of focus that helps us lock in on the things that are most important and teaches us that we don't have to have everything that we desire. Now, fasting typically is a fast, a, a, a abstinence, if you will, from food, but more broadly, it's an abstinence from something that you live on. So just for instance, in my own life, um, uh, you know, there are times when I go through uh, uh, times of fasting or, or sections of fasting, pieces, if you will, and so instance, I'll, I'll eat lunch, for instance, on Tuesday and then miss dinner and miss breakfast and eat lunch again on Wednesday, and that'll be my day of fasting, a time to really focus during that time. And what happens during that time? Well, your stomach rumbles, right? And what does that do right there other than make you mad? It says, oh, there are things that I really need to be thinking about. Okay, yeah, God, now, now, I'm praying for some things as I'm fasting here. I'm not just sitting here mad. I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn this to... And so every time your stomach kind of gurgles, you go, oh yes, Lord, this is what I'm doing. I'm praying for this. I'm praying for um, our culture. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my marriage or for my kid or for the ministry or for the church or for this person who's sick or whatever. Every time that rumbles, it, it, it focuses me on the thing that I'm praying for. So it's a real gift. And furthermore, as I deny, if you will, or abstain from food, what I figure out is I don't have to have a lot of other things that my body wants. Is that a bad thing? We're not talking about an extra Diet Coke or, so, or an extra, you know, that's not, I'm not talking about food. I'm saying there are other things that my body wants sometimes that I don't have to have. And I learned that by fasting. Here's the deal. As I said earlier, it's not just fasting uh, from food, although certainly that's kind of the norm. It's fasting from something that you live on. And some of us in our pocket or in our palm right now is the thing that we live on most. And it might not be the worst idea to figure out a place to put that for a while so that you can focus. And every time you get that fake vibration thing in your pocket or you go to reach for it and figure out what the post on Instagram just was or whatever, like you go, oh, wait a minute, it's not there. I'll take this moment to pray. I'll take this moment to focus. Fasting. Why? Why do we don't go about doing this? Just as with worship, we worship because we're grateful people. Folks, we fast because we're a dependent people. Like, 
Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread, not our weekly bread or annual bread or what. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today what we need for today. So we're going consistently to Jesus and saying, I need you and I need you to be at work in my life. And fasting is a reminder simply that um, we are just as dependent today as we were yesterday. Anybody ever kind of prone or inclined towards self-sufficiency? Nobody? Okay. Well, the 830 folks had some people, there were some people inclined that way, so you can pray for them that we would all, because we are a dependent people, we, we take a moment and we physically represent that through a discipline like fasting. Again, it's not that we do this to become the church. We do it because we are the church. That's why Jesus in Matthew 6 says, when you fast. Not if, when. When you fast. Third mark, look, middle of verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for Barnabas, uh, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. They listened. They worshiped, they fasted, and they listened. How does listening help you know God? It's because you open yourself to his word, and when you open yourself to his word, guess what happens? Um, You figure out what he's like. You figure out what he likes. You figure out how he's at work. You figure out kind of the timing of things, how things are kind of at play in this. You figure out some of the reasons why he's doing the things that he's doing, how the methods um, that he's um, uh, putting in place to unfold his purposes. You open up his word, and you you get to know God. Some of you have made resolutions this year. Hey, this year I'm going to spend more time in the Bible. I'm, as your pastor, I'm telling you, do it. <laughs> like, put it in your calendar, do it. Make yourself do it. Don't just open the Bible app, do it. Like, read it, do it, right? Don't just let them give you one verse on a screenshot thing. Like, read it, read it, read it. Open it up and understand it. And when you go and you sit in one of the circles that Kyle was talking about, a small group, a Bible study, or a Sunday school class, and somebody opens the Word, you sit there and you you engage with it. Put your phone down, whatever it takes. I mean, engage with it. And when you gather in here, take notes, write in your Bible, include things that God says to you along the way. Not just the stuff that appears up here on the screen. The stuff that appears up here on the screen is just for all you type A plus people who have to write something down. What we want you to do is write down what God says to you. Why do we believe God would speak? Because he's a speaking kind of God. He is our father. And what is one of the things that he would give to his kids? Instructions, words, commands for their good. So Let's be people of the Bible. We're going to talk more about this in February. I just say it this way now, that we want to be a people who are saturated with the Scripture so that if we get bumped in one place, you know what falls out of us, spills out of us? Bible. If we get squeezed in one place, you know what comes gushing out of us? Bible. That's what we want. Listening. And why is this? Because we are a relational people. We have been saved, purchased by God, and brought into a relationship with our Father. And because He's our Father, He speaks to His kids, and we are so glad to hear. Okay, number four, fourth mark. So, um, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. That was Him speaking. And then look what happened in verse three. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know what they did? They obeyed. They did what God said to do. Worshiping, fasting, listening, obeying. 
Why do we obey? Because we are a devoted people. And as we obey, you know what it helps us do? It helps us know God and be confirmed in the faith that we uh, claim. What, what do you mean by that? Okay, so it helps us know God. John 14 verse 21 says this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, or she it is who loves me, and the one that loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. And then Jesus says this, and I will come, and I will manifest, or I will make myself known to them. So if you want to know God more in 2019, you want to have a deeper relationship with him, a more intimately connected relationship with your creator and your father, guess what one of the big pieces is? Obeying your obedience. As you step out in obedience, what you're saying to God is, God, I'm trusting you this much. And when you say those kinds of things to God, you know what God says back? Hey, I'm going to trust you with more of myself too. But it also confirms the faith that you have. So um, can we turn backwards one book to John chapter 7? John chapter 7, verse 17. When we obey, it not only helps us know God more, but it also confirms this faith that we have. Look at John 7, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, in other words, if my heart is set on obedience, he will know whether this teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. What's Jesus saying? If you set your heart in obedience and you go out and, so to speak, you give it a shot, guess what you're going to find out? Hey, this stuff works. Like, it, it really is better. It really is a better path. Living without anger is better than living with it. Living with, without um, a, a mismanaged desire really is better than living with it. Living generously is better than living materialistically. I mean, we could go on and on and on. What do we find? That Jesus' way really is better. If anyone's heart or if anyone's will is to do God's will, then you will know. So he confirms as we step out in obedience, we find that um, he confirms for us this faith that we claim. Those who, and I'll say it here now, um, this worshiping, fasting, listening, obeying, I said it at the front end, let me say it again. That's not so that we become the church. We do these things because we are the church. We worship because we're a grateful people. We fast because we're a dependent people. We listen because we are a relational people. We are children of the king. And we obey because we are a devoted people to God. That's who we are. Therefore, these are the things that this looks like. And the, the good news of Jesus here cannot be contained. It cannot be privatized. It cannot be like locked in. God is consistently looking at his people and saying, set apart for me, set apart for me, set apart for me, set apart for me, and send them out. And send them out. Some of you are going to Marathon Oil. Some of you, one of these days, will go back to JSC. Some of you will go to any number of other places. Some of you on Monday are going back to school, and on Tuesday, you students are going back to school. You know what that God's doing in that moment? Hey, set apart from me these students at Clear Springs, at Clear Lake, at, at Friendswood High. Set apart from me these people and send them out. You're going back as missionaries. Why? Because the faith that we hold is not a private kind of faith. It's a little bit like this. I didn't do this in the 830, but anybody ever rolled up on the, the airport pizza hut? That's a weird transition. No, for real, I'm asking. Who's ever rolled up on the airport pizza hut? 
okay? And inevitably you stand there and you're like, no, the salad's been there for four and a half days, thanks. Uh, but it looks like the grease is still dripping off of that one pizza, so I'll have that because it looks pretty fresh and hot. And so you stand there and you get it and you open it up, right? And how big is the pizza? It's about that big around, right? And what do they call it? It is a personal pizza. Now, you sit down, if you can stomach it, you sit down and pretend somebody comes and sits down beside you and starts reaching for your a piece, and you only got four of them, you know, like, and they're like half pieces, but you, know, you only got four half pieces of this pizza, and they start reaching for it, and what do you do? You take the spork that you got and you stab them. Right? Because why? Why, why do you do that? This is a personal pizza. Now, what you're really meaning in that moment is this is a private pizza. Like, you don't get this. You don't get a part of this. There is enough for me, and there is not enough for you. And some of us are armed with a spork when it comes to Jesus. He's enough for me, not enough for you. He's my private Jesus, not personal private. Folks, that is betraying the content of the gospel as well as the spirit of the gospel. It is a sending message. And you're going to go back to school and back to work. You're going to go back to your neighborhoods, into your houses. Not with, not with a private Jesus. With a personal one. One who's enough for you and enough to share. And that's what he calls us to. And so that, that leads to some outcomes here. Next few verses in the story here. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So they went from Antioch, which is kind of in modern day Syria, um, and they, they went down the coast to the Med. Um, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus is the uh, um, island, you know, 90 or so miles off of uh, the coasts there, uh, and there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, which on, is on the eastern side of the island, uh, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and had John, who is John Mark, um, to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, so they worked their way from the east side all the way to the west side, kind of tracking along the, the southern part of the island, um, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, Elymas Bar-Jesus, same guy, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here's one of the outcomes. As you live in accordance with the things that God has said, and in accordance with the identity that he has bestowed upon you and given to you, as you live in that and you start, you're sent out to the places that God has given you, here's one of the things that will happen. Are you ready? You will face opposition. You will. You're going to go back to school. You're going to go back to work. You're going to go back home. You're going to go other places, and you will face opposition. You will run, if you will, into your own false prophet named Bar-Jesus or Elymas the magician. And he says here, um, it, it can be very personal. He opposed them, but it's also spiritual. He, he wanted to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 9. Um, so, so just pause here. What, 
before we get there. What do you do when you face opposition? Just recognize it for what it is. We talked about this last week. This is spiritual warfare. You and I live in a context of a spiritual battle. Don't be surprised when stuff comes along that happens like this. It may be just as crazy as we're going to read about in 13, or it may be much more uh, subtle, but just don't be surprised. You will face opposition. That's just the reality of the world in which we live. Um, he opposed them. He, he wanted to turn him away from the faith. Here's what I would say to you as your pastor and as someone who is in this with you. Don't try to fight spiritual battles with worldly weapons. Don't do it. Sarcasm is not a spiritual weapon. Emojis are not spiritual weapons. Legislation is not spiritual weapons. Probably most popularly, marshalling an army is not a spiritual weapon. What does that mean? Well, you know, something happens and you pick up the phone or you post it out there and people, you're looking, what are you asking for? You're asking for people to join your cause, right? Oh, I can't believe it. And I can't, can you, we need to meet and have some coffee, talk about this. And you kind of, what are you doing? You're marshalling an army to be on your side. That's not a spiritual weapon. folks. Don't fight spiritual battles with worldly weapons. Um, and instead, before even the worldly problem can be addressed, the spiritual battles must be fought. And that leads to a very simple question. And I promise you, count me first in line as trying to apply this appropriately. I'm asking myself these, this singular question these days. Have I prayed about this first? And that's a simple question. But I'm, I'm asking, before I go all, you know, get my, before I do all that, have I prayed about this first? Why? Because before the worldly, worldly problem gets addressed, the spiritual battles must be fought. And, uh, once you have prayed, then you surrender to the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what happens, verse 9. But Saul, who was called Paul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, what would that look like? Oh, Jesus, I don't know what's going on here. It feels like battle. I'm praying that you would protect me and fill me with your Spirit so I can do the things that you want me to do. Just that simple prayer helps you um, get things moving along in the right direction. Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Elymas the magician and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? Now, I just think you should put that verse in your pocket and hold on to that one. At an appropriate time, you just roll that out. Hey, listen, I got something to tell you. You son of the devil. You appropriate. <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness. You, you who are full of vanity. I just think you should hold on to that. Just I mean, that one doesn't make the fridge, you know what I mean? But I think you ought to stick that in your pocket. That's why just hold on to that one. Um, and now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So what happened when Paul was filled with the Spirit? He made this pronouncement of judgment against this evildoer, against this wicked person, um, and then God took care of it. He was filled with the Spirit, and God took care of it. Is that a pretty good way to approach Tuesday? To be filled with the Spirit and let God take care of it. It's not that Paul was inactive. He was right there in the middle of it. But he was trusting that God was going to do it. So um, in, in Luke chapter 12, th this verse comes up. and It's paralleled in uh, about three other places, but this is one of them. 
Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to his apostles, that he is sending out you who are sent out to schools and to workplaces and to other things. And he's, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, in other words, when you have a little dust up, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. When there there is a spiritual battle raging, for us to submit to the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit can then give us great assurance that He will speak through us at the appropriate time and He will say the things that He needs said. One of the outcomes, as we're sent out, is that you will face opposition. But, that's not the only one, you will also find opportunity. Look again at verse 7. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. They found opportunity there. Now, just a couple of things here. Sergius Paulus, how did the Bible describe him? As a what? A man of intelligence. So, church family, can we just, like, let's say this out loud. And let's just remind ourselves every so often because of some of the uh, environments and some of the industries in which we work, you don't have to check your brain to be a Christian. Christianity is a thinking man's religion. This was a man of intelligence. And what did he do? He summoned Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to hear this word. He wanted to hear what was going on. He wanted to hear about um, the the testimony of Jesus. So um, here's another thing about that. When you find opportunity, um, you don't have to check your brain. But secondly, listen, let me ask you, let me ask this question. Let me say it this way. Are, are there people in your life who are curious about things? It's particularly about spiritual things. They're curious about this. Hey, why is the world this way? Hey, why do people go through suffering like this? Hey, why do... And you go to... Listen, their curiosity is your opportunity. They are essentially summoning you to hear the word of God. Now... The Bible is very clear about this. And I say, again, thinking about you and thinking about your weeks, thinking about me and thinking about my week. Um, That kind of curiosity is a sign that God is at work. You get that, right? Because the Bible describes everybody in the world as spiritually blind. They're like Sandra Bullock in the bird box. Don't look, don't look. You don't, listen, Anytime you come across somebody who, um, who is curious about the things of God, guess what? That is a sign that God is already at work. You don't have to like spin this up. God's already at work. God's beginning to lift the blinds or the blinders just a little. He's beginning the biblical description is to pull back the veil so that they can begin to see. And listen, there are always questions that you're not going to be able to answer. That is true. But the bottom line goes something like this. If Jesus said he was going to die and rise again, and he died and rose again, we should listen to what he says. And if he said he was going to die and rise again, and he died and didn't rise from the dead, we don't need to listen to anything that he said. He was a quack. Well, what about, listen, if he died and rose, like he said he was going to, let's give him a fair hearing, okay? If he didn't, don't worry about it. I mean, it really does come down to that right there. Um, And and I say that because some of you are going to get into conversations this week and maybe others where you will have the opportunity to speak about Jesus. And I promise you this, church family, college students, high schools, listen, 
Jesus can hold his own in the free market of ideas. Like, you have questions about ethics? Jesus does ethics better than everybody. You got questions about why the world is the way that it is? Guess what? Jesus does it better than everybody. You got questions about how things are going to end up? Jesus does it. He has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. So speak the truth plainly. Down in verse 12, don't miss this. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. And then don't miss, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, if a dude had just gone blind in front of me, I might be astonished at the power of the Lord. Anybody with me there? But what was he astonished at? The teaching of the Lord. All you have to do is say the truth plainly, folks. That's it. Jesus has died. He has come back from the dead. Say it plainly. Say it plainly. And whatever you do along the way, just trust God. Trust God for the power and for the outcomes. You will face opposition. You will find opportunities. And it really does boil down to whether Jesus has died and whether he has risen. And we come to this moment of communion to remind ourselves that Jesus has died and he has risen. The, the night that he was betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat and remember. What he was saying, they didn't get, was there's a, a, a brokenness that's going to come upon me on the cross the next day. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, and uh, as that unfolded and as they began to think about it and understand it, what they realized was the body of Jesus was broken, bearing our sins so that you and I could be made whole before him. He took a cup and he passed it around. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed. Your forgiveness now is not based upon the sacrifice of somebody else in some other place. Your forgiveness is based upon the sacrifice of Jesus for you. The reason you are forgiveness is because Jesus, the reason you are forgiven is because Jesus died for you and for you and for you. He died for you. And that's what we come to remember. So there will be deacons at each of the five stations around. We're gonna, um, the reason we do it this way um, sometimes, in addition, it's a reminder that we come to Jesus for what we need. We come to Jesus for his death and for his resurrection to remind ourselves that he gives us what we need. It really is that simple. So, um, church family, I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll stand and sing and let you at um, over the next few minutes at your pace um, come to the table and, and take communion. Let's pray together.